0: Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty. This week, I have a quick and dirty tip about affective versus effective, a meaty middle about food idioms, and a featured listener. On to the quick and dirty tip. This tip is essentially an add-on to last week's show about the difference between affect and effect, because once people get that difference, they often ask, what about affective with an A and effective with an E? The good news is that it's easy. Effective with an E is almost always the right choice. That's the word you want in sentences like these. Squiggly is a particularly effective leader. Ardvark and Squiggly had an effective meeting. Effective immediately will have chocolate at every meeting. Affective with an A has more specialized meanings that relate to psychology and emotions— just like affect the noun that we talked about last week. Because I grew up in Seattle, where it's dark a lot in the winter, the use of affective that I'm most familiar with is in the name of a condition called seasonal affective disorder. The lack of sunlight in the winter causes some people to get depressed, so the word affective in seasonal affective disorder is there to refer to people's psychological state. The word affective is also used in education People who research teaching categorize different types of learning, and sometimes refer to something called the affective domain, which has to do with feelings and emotions. Other educational domains are the cognitive domain, which has to do with learning information, and the psychomotor domain, which has to do with learning physical skills. Affective is sometimes also used just to describe something that relates to emotions, Here's a great example from the novel The Girls He Adored by Jonathan Nasaw, which I found on the Wordnik site. The passage goes like this. Pender was a proponent of what was known as the affective interview, so he made sure to add an extra dollop of warmth to his voice, and he returned the grin. So, as you can see, affective has its uses but they aren't the kind you're likely to use much unless you work in education research or psychology. So that's your quick and dirty tip. The word you almost always want when you're thinking of something that's effective, meaning useful, functional, or efficient, is effective with an E. And now, on to phrases such as, What am I, chopped liver? Today, we're going to talk about idioms that come from foods. We'll take a peek into history, traveling all the way back to ancient Rome. Some of these foods may be more appetizing than others. We'll cover everything from cake to liver. Our first food idiom is to take it with a grain of salt, which means to accept something, but to be somewhat skeptical of the information. For example, if you're unsure about a relative's knowledge of the stock market, you might say, I took his financial advice with a grain of salt. We all know that salt improves the taste of food, but perhaps you don't know that the expression to take it with a grain of salt originated with a recipe for an antidote to poison. Ancient Roman author Pliny the Elder, who lived from 23 to 79 A.D., wrote an encyclopedic work titled Natural History in the year 77. He tells the story of a Roman general, Pompey, who encountered a ruler named Mithridates VI. This king was famous for building up his immunity to poison, and Pliny reports on the king's recipe for his antidote. The last line of this recipe read, quote, "...to be taken fasting plus a grain of salt." Pliny probably didn't intend for his readers to doubt this recipe. He likely meant that salt actually was added to the other ingredients. When the expression to take it with a grain of salt came to be used starting in the 17th century, individuals at that time probably misunderstood what Pliny had written. They thought that adding salt to something would make it easier to swallow we also have plenty to thank for our next food-related idiom, in a nutshell. This cliché means in a few words and has been used since the 1570s. Just now, we learned that an old antidote to poison literally involved a grain of salt. Surprisingly, in a nutshell literally involves something tiny in a real nutshell. Well, maybe, at least. In Natural history Pliny writes that he had heard about a version of Homer's The Iliad being written in such small letters that the whole book could fit inside a nutshell. This story seems unlikely because in Homer's day, writing was done with a stylus on clay tablets. And, of course, The Iliad is a long book. Pliny's anecdote might have been forgotten, except that someone named Philemon Holland translated natural history into English in 1601. Holland noted skeptically that, quote, "...the same writer maketh mention of one who could see to the distance of 135 miles." Unquote. Nevertheless, the association between compactness and nutshells stuck, and Shakespeare uses language to that effect in Hamlet— In a nutshell, when it comes to what Pliny wrote, it sounds as if we should take much of it with a grain of salt. Our next idiom is use your noodle, which means simply think. In this phrase, the word noodle refers to your head or brain, and noodle has had this connotation since the mid-18th century. If you think about it, but not during dinner, a pile of noodles does sort of look like a brain. Noodle may be related to the old word noddle, originally meaning back of the head in the 15th century. Another related word is noggin, which means a small cup or mug or a person's head. Interestingly, the word mug also means both a drinking vessel and a face. According to Dictionary.com, since 1708, mug has meant a person's face perhaps because of drinking mugs shaped like grotesque faces. In addition, the term mugshot has referred to a police photograph since 1887. Use your noodle used to be an insult. As the Christian Science Monitor stated, imagine, quote, a simpleton wagging his head around while thinking with a wet, floppy noodle, unquote. That's not a very positive image. Nowadays, we're not usually being mean when we command someone to use your noodle. Rather, we're using a colorful way to ask someone to concentrate. Next on our list is don't cry over spilled milk, or should that be spilt milk with an I-L-T at the end instead of I-L-L-E-D. Both spellings are used, but spilt, I-L-T, is more common in British English. Whichever way you go, the idiom means it doesn't do any good to be unhappy about something that's already happened or that can't be helped. It's an old proverb, an earlier form of which is no weeping for shed milk. An interesting explanation of the idiom's origin has to do with fairies. According to examiner.com, quote, some believe the phrase originated in European fairy lore— Because milk-loving fairies would drink up any spilled milk, so none would go to waste. Whatever the exact origin of the meaning, you can celebrate the notion of thinking positively every February 11th, which is National Don't Cry Over Spilled Milk Day. Next, what goes with milk almost as well as cookies? Cake. Our next expression is "It's a piece of cake." this idiom, which means something easily accomplished, has perhaps the most logical explanation. Cake is easy to eat because it's so yummy. Pie is, too, as in the related phrase, as easy as pie. But there seems to be more to it than that. The Free Dictionary says it's a piece of cake, quote, originated in the Royal Air Force in the late 1930s for an easy mission, unquote but another explanation is rooted in the African-American community. Apparently, in the 1870s, cakes were given as prizes in competitions, including contests where quote, slaves would participate in cakewalks where couples would perform a dance, mocking the mannerisms of their masters. The most graceful couple would receive a cake as a prize, unquote. No wonder we also use the expressions, it's a cakewalk, and that takes the cake. Now we move on to a food that some people find unappetizing—liver. When people are complaining about not receiving enough attention, you might hear them whine, What am I, chopped liver? Or, What do I look like, chopped liver? Chopped liver is a common Jewish appetizer or side dish that, according to William Sapphire, is not as important as chicken soup or gefilte fish, unquote, a fish traditionally eaten on Jewish holidays. Sapphire also said the first person to use the phrase was Jimmy Durante, who said this on his 1954 TV show, Now Ain't That Chopped Liver. Hollywood A-listers Johnny Carson and Michael Douglas were later heard using the expression, and Jewish comedians used it, quote, as a humorous metaphor for something or someone insignificant unquote. The final idiom we'll discuss today is in the limelight, which means in the spotlight. It's time for a little confession, though. Although this phrase appears to involve limes, the small green fruit, the lime in that phrase actually refers to limestone, a rock. Whoops! Nevertheless, this expression does have an interesting origin in the theater. In the 1820s, a man named Goldsworthy Gurney— discovered the effect of, quote, heating a piece of lime in a flame of burning oxygen and hydrogen, and 19th-century theaters used an application of this process to create bright light. Actors who were the center of attention on stage were said to be in the limelight. We hope you've enjoyed this episode in which many foods, except green citrus, were in the limelight. This segment was researched by Jake Trenga, teenage son of Bonnie Mills, who wrote it. How's that for keeping your kids busy during the summer? Finally, I have a featured listener. Thanks to all of you who used the hashtag #WhereIListen last week to let me know where you listen to the Grammar Girl podcast. One of my favorites was AlinaKarivi33 on Instagram who listens on an enormous ship in Russia. I was fascinated by the pictures of the ship. Thank you for posting those. Also, everything did go as planned last week, and I thanked all of you listeners in my acceptance speech for the Podcasting Hall of Fame. But I also got a surprise because Grammar Girl also won Best Education Podcast at the ceremony. It was quite a night, and I'm not kidding, I got a huge bruise on my arm from carrying around two trophies. Not that I'm complaining. It was fabulous, and thanks again for all your support over the years. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find transcripts of every podcast if you want to read along at quickanddirtytips.com. That's all. Thanks for listening. Doors take us to summers away. Or winter adventures and afternoon getaways. Your dedicated Fidelity advisor can help you open those doors by working with you on a comprehensive plan to help you reach your wealth's full potential, because doors were meant to be opened. Visit fidelity.com slash wealth, investment minimum supply, Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.